Before we start the program, I want to introduce you to an event that's coming up this August. The Loma Linda Institute of Worship is offering a worship leadership certificate to help leaders and pastors take their congregation's worship experience to the next level. This August 9-12 through 12 event will include presenters Randy Roberts, Adriana Pereira, Nicholas Zork, Wayne Buckner, Richard Hickam, and more, and provide the opportunity to perform on stage with Steve Green and the Heritage Singers. Come sing, pray, write new music, share testimonies and resources, and grow together with like-minded worship leaders from across the world. Go to LLIW.net to register. Several years ago, a man named Bud Wren wrote a guest column in a Christianity Today newsletter entitled Merry Moments. Wren wrote about an experience that he had with his family. They had joined several other families, all of them having children, and gone out to eat together. Went out to a restaurant where they could enjoy company, good food, and the children could enjoy laughter and fun. It was one of those kinds of occasions which I have to assume that every server and busboy dreads, but every family member and child loves. So they were together, they were talking, they were laughing, and they were having a wonderful time making memories. There came a moment when somebody told a story and there was a peal of laughter when it died down. The gentleman who was seated next to Wren said something to him. There was a lot of noise in the restaurant, so he couldn't quite hear him. He said, I'm sorry, I couldn't hear you. Could you say that again? And this gentleman said to him, I have the conviction that God has told me as a pastor to move to another church. He was youth pastor at Wren's Church. But further, I have the conviction that God wants you to be the next youth pastor. And Wren thought, wow. Right here in the middle of all of this activity and action, he didn't need to think about it long. He himself was a junior executive at AT AT&T, but he was rising quickly in the ranks. He looked at this youth pastor and he said, listen. I'm an executive. I know what I make. You're a pastor. I know what you make. That's not going to happen. No, that's not God talking to you. And the dinner ended. But Ren says that he went home, and somehow that conversation continued to gnaw at his belly, continued to play around the corners of his mind. He just couldn't get it out of his thoughts. I don't know if it would surprise you, maybe even disturb you. I don't know. To know that today, if you met Bud Wren, you would call him Pastor Wren. He's been pastoring now for quite a number of years, going back to that one moment, that conversation. In fact, it is in reflecting on that moment and that conversation that Wren wrote this. I didn't realize it then, but I know now that that October evening brought a merry moment into my life. The Mary moment is named in honor of a young teenage virgin whom God had chosen to carry his son Jesus and to be his mother. Mary had her moment when the angel Gabriel came to her with a strange proposition, one that really scared her. My definition of a Mary moment is this, a critical moment when God reveals himself in a way that challenges you to make decisions that have significantly life-altering implications. I want to reread that. My definition of a merry moment is this. A critical moment when God reveals himself in a way that challenges you to make decisions that have significantly life-altering 
implications. Mary was indeed faced with a decision that would have life-altering implications, not only for her, but for you and me and the whole world. So I have borrowed Wren's term, Mary Moments, have adopted it as the name for our Advent series this year. I've added a subtitle, God's Unexpected Calls. Because that's what God does in our lives, especially if we celebrate Christmas. In fact, if you go back to that first Christmas, you discover merry moments all over the place. Obviously, there's the merry moment of Mary's. But then there are others as well, if you follow the story. There's Zachariah having a merry moment, Elizabeth having a merry moment, the shepherds, the wise men, Herod, the citizens of Jerusalem, Anna, Simeon, and the list could just continue. Merry moments everywhere. Even today, you've had merry moments, and so have I. There are those moments that come uninvited and sometimes unwelcome into our lives. Sometimes we're clear on the fact that they're coming from God. God is, is calling us in a certain way to make a certain change in our lives, to offer ourselves in service in a different way than we have before, to follow His pattern in His plan. We have no question but that this is from God, and our merry moment is deciding whether or not we're going to accept that call. But at other times, it comes after difficulty and trial and trauma and tragedy. The merry moment is not in that sadness. I am not suggesting God sends that into our lives. What I am suggesting is this. In response to that, we have to make a choice. Will we respond in faithfulness? Will we respond with an affirmation of trust and continued commitment to God? That's our merry moment. So we have those moments. Mary had that moment. In fact, I want to go back and I want to read that moment in Luke's Gospel, chapter 1. If you reach for a pew Bible, it's page 1522. 1522, Luke, chapter 1. We're going to go back and we're going to read the original Mary moment. So Luke 1, beginning in verse 26, says this. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. 
Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me according to your word. Then the angel left her. And so it's almost Christmas. You know what Christmas brings to mind. It brings to mind those idyllic images. Images of Santa Claus and reindeer. Images of sleigh bells and snowbanks. Images of carols and heralds. Images of glittering trees and glimmering gifts. Brings to mind images of shoppers. Shoppers in the mall rushing to buy that one more gift for that special person. Those are the idyllic images we see when we think Christmas. Or maybe we say, well, wait, let's be biblical about it. Let's go back to what the biblical text says. And so the images then that we would have of Christmas are images of a gentle, humble, reverential young maiden and a strong, big, but good angel, a message of hope that will lead to a cave outside of Bethlehem where we see a manger filled, we think, with fluffy, warm straw the cattle lowing nearby, the sheep gathered, the star shining, and the babe lying in the manger. Those are our images of Christmas. They're beautiful images. Idyllic. Ideal. Unfortunately, many of them have little to do with what actually happened that first Christmas, with the sentiments and the feelings and the responses that were present. It was not nearly so pristine and pure and clean and certainly not so easy. If we wish to understand something of how Mary would have responded to that, we have to enter into the world of her day and her time and, in a sense, see it through her eyes. First of all, we have to recognize that Mary lived in what sociologists called a shame and honor culture. A shame and honor culture is a culture in which shame and honor are used to guide children, keep them in control, and even manage the behavior of adults. The implied threat is, if you misbehave, if you get it wrong, if you fail and fall, others will know and that will bring shame to you and shame to the family. Shame and honor cultures continue, but they certainly were present in the biblical world. Listen to these words from Andy Crouch, writing about such things in Christianity today. Crouch writes, in a shame culture, you know you are good or bad by what your community says about you. The message of Scripture was delivered within two unmistakably honor-shame cultures, both the ancient Near East, where Israel came into existence, and the Greco-Roman world, where the early church arose, were saturated with concern for honor and an aversion to social shame. Don't do anything to shame yourself or to shame the family. 
Very strong reality. That's part of Mary's world. A second part of Mary's world is she was young, tender. Many scholars estimate she was probably in her mid-teens, though some place it as young as 12. So when you picture Mary, picture a young girl, can you imagine the fate of a planet dangling from her grip? And the angel Gabriel comes and says, It's almost Christmas, Mary. And you are with child. And Mary says, wait, wait, wait what? 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 What are you talking about? You're with child, Mary. My, my life is over. It's Christmas. Now hear those sleigh bells jingling, ring, ting, tingling too. Come on, it's lovely weather for a sleigh ride together with you. And Mary says, my life is done. And the angel continues. You will have a child. And Mary must be thinking, what, what am I going to say to Joseph? What am I going to say to my parents? What are we going to say to our village? Where am I going to go when I'm thrown out? It's Christmas, Mary. Merry Christmas, darling. We're apart, that's true, but I can dream, and in my dreams, I'm Christmasing with you. And Mary must be thinking, my life is done. If you want a glimpse into the experience for Mary, consider a couple of words. The text says that when Gabriel gave his greeting, Mary was greatly troubled. Interesting word in the original. I want to read you a couple of scholarly resources that try to unpack the sense of that word. They actually use a phrase or two rather than just a word to capture the sense of it. Here's the first one. To throw into a state of perturbation, to trouble greatly. Second one, to be mentally disturbed and thus deeply troubled. No wonder Eugene Peterson, in his paraphrase of the message, renders it by saying, she was thoroughly shaken, wondering what this greeting could possibly mean. What is this about? Has God broken into my life? He's asking something of me. He's telling something to me. But the angel's not done. Mary, a child. Name him Jesus. And the text says that Mary asks, how, how can this be? How? Again, one scholarly resource to trying to capture the, capture the sense of that word, how, when she asks, how can this be? Again, several words to try to capture. It says it this way. How? In what way? Never. Impossible. In what sense? 
Merry Christmas, Mary. It's a wonderful, idyllic time of the year. And she says, I am deeply disturbed and wondering how in the world this is happening to me. And Bud Wren calls it a merry moment. It's one of those moments that comes into our lives that has the potential to shape our destiny, to alter our direction, to transform our plans. We all have them, merry moments. In fact, we here in this congregation have individuals who can share such with us. So this series, four weeks of this series, we're going to talk to one or two individuals from our community each week. Talk to them about merry moments in their lives. This morning, I want to invite Kim Rawson. Kim Rawson is the wife of our church business administrator, Tim Rawson. Uh, Kim is a pediatric nurse practitioner at the Children's Hospital here in Loma Linda. I appreciate, Kim, you willing to come up and share and talk. Uh, Kim and her family, I have to tell you, are an active family. I know something important happened, but before we get to that, I want to ask you a little bit because it helps us set the stage. You all like the great out of doors. Uh, as, as you think back over what kinds of things you do, what, what would you all do for recreation? Well, my sister Karen and I are married to twin brothers, and we live next door to one another. Kind of close. We, it's kind of a compound type of thing. <laughs> and, but we've done things together for years, and we enjoy mountain biking, mm. water skiing, snow skiing, hiking, motorcycle riding, against my parents' wishes. But, um, so so lot, very active. Very active, yes. Uh, your friends, such as this friend, yes. have had concerns about how active y'all are and a, a few mishaps along the way. Just, Is that yeah. a fair statement? Just, just a few, <laughs> yes. We have um, been very good friends with Aflac, and we also, <laughs> Joelle Royer loves to say, oh, alert the local ER, the Rossons are coming to town, because <laughs> we have had many a, yes. a spill. So when we would think about you all doing things that were active and going out in nature and so forth, I would think somebody's going to really get hurt here, as if someone didn't already really get hurt. But I was thinking, you know, maybe, maybe this will happen jumping out of a plane or, or, or snow helicopter skiing in Alaska or, or hang gliding off of Half Dome or something like that. Something happened, but it didn't happen in that context. Can you share what happened, Kim? Well, we don't skydive. That's a big no-no. <laughs> but um, we had just finished a mountain bike ride up at Crafton Hills, and my sister and my husband and I had just come off the trail, and I was in the parking lot <clears throat> on our way to put the bike in the truck, and my bike slid out from under me, and my right leg went with the bike, and my left leg twisted out behind me. So you're in the parking lot about to load up. Yes. Not going fast or anything no. like that. Wow. So <laughs> describe know. the scene. So, well, I was like, of course, I felt a clunk, and the pain was excruciating. I 
I'd rather have children over and over again than to have to do that again. But I thought I had popped my um, hip out of the socket. And so I, being the orthopedic surgeon that I'm not, <laughs> I thought if I brought my leg back around, I could pop it back in the socket and wait, wait, the pain wait, wait, would wait, get wait. better. So, so you have one leg going this way and one going that yeah. way. You think I'm just going to bring this yeah, one around? simple. Why not? You know, so I... Mm did that and just it was I can't even describe how badly it hurt I was digging so hard into my sister's arm she was almost <laughs> bleeding but it was extremely painful oh my goodness so the my husband was going to try to put me in the truck and that was a big no no so I was transported here to Loma Linda and um, the pain was so bad that none of, they gave me every narcotic in the book, nothing would work, and so. Now before you go yeah. further, I want people to get just a bit of a perspective on why the pain was so bad. Now I'm a medical layperson, so I don't know much about these things, but even I would be able to look, I think, at this x-ray and know that doesn't look right. Yeah. Something is definitely wrong there. Can you describe what that is? Yeah, so my hip, joint is securely where it's supposed to be, and that open area is my femur. The head of the femur completely almost twisted off. And wow. right when that happened, I lost all feeling from my knee all the way down through my foot. I had no feeling wow. there. So, so no wonder the pain was yeah, so intense. Yeah. So, so what happened? So in the ER, they um, told me I had broken my femur, and I just laid there crying, thinking, I said, if my femur, that's, that's my biggest bone of the body. <laughs> How did I break my femur in a parking lot? <laughs> and it just was unreal that that happened. So. Wow. So what did they do next? I mean, they're trying to control right. the pain and trying to get x-rays, I assume. At yeah, that they point. tried to get x-rays. It didn't work. They had to actually give me propofol in order to get the CT scan that you just saw. Propofol. Propofol, that's, yeah, Michael Jackson. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. So I that, lived. Yes. <laughs> I'm Thank glad you, to see that. That was the first test. So, <laughs> so propofol, and you went out at that point, yeah. I assume. At that point, I went out, and they were able to do the CT, and then when I came to... People were ready to go into action. Oh, then. yeah. They had a whole team around me. Everybody had a job to do to cut my clothes off, wheel me to CT, get the CT, and get my leg straight because I wouldn't let anybody bend or touch my leg whatsoever because any little movement would just send pain that wow. is just unbelievable. So they get the information they need, and then they're going to go to surgery, I right. assume. So we went to surgery, um, and while I was in surgery, I had a little problem. I coded. It's all you on coded. the table. They thought wow. I had thrown a blood clot, um, and so they aborted the surgery, and I had to go in to see if I had a clot that had lodged or something had happened, and, and I had to have contrast dye. Well, I'm allergic to contrast dye, so they had to premedicate me for 24 hours, and during that time, they put it in a traction device. Um, in fact, I think we have a yeah, picture of that. Yeah, we have that, and they drilled holes in the side of my thigh and then hung this 40-pound bag off the end of the bed so that they could try and stabilize it that while I waited. That sounds horrible. Yeah, it was. 
you came to visit me. I even remember. <laughs> you remember I that? I do. I remember That's that. remarkable. In and out. I couldn't <laughs> believe you were there. <laughs> so what happened next? Yeah. So then the second time they went in and we had that surgery um, was successful. They were able to put it together with um, Again, a lot a of hardware. Of they, and they weren't sure it was completely stable, so I was not allowed to do any weight-bearing. I couldn't transfer. I couldn't do anything without assistance. So at that point, I was completely dependent on other people to do basically everything for me. Wow. So. And who stepped up to the plate? My husband. My colleague right over yeah. there? He's a good guy. He's a pretty good one. <laughs> but, and so describe yeah. what, what those days were like. So I spent a week in the main house in the big hospital there, and then they transferred me over to the rehab unit, which, as you see, it's beautiful. I didn't yeah. even know we had that. I worked here 29 years, and we have suites <laughs> in this place. It was absolutely gorgeous. I had awesome physical therapists who figured out a way for me to actually be able to get up in a walker, and I was actually crying in that picture because it's the first time that I was actually able to get upright, and it was it was quite a day. Wow, it's a good day. So, what are your physicians at this point in time telling you that the future might look like? Well, Dr. Strum, who was my rehab physician mm -hmm. and continues now six years, been my physician and my angel, mm -hmm. um, had told me that you know. I started to get these weird, horrible shooting nerve pain things down my leg, and I thought it was good, actually. I thought I was starting to regain feeling in my lower extremity, and he told me, just because you're feeling that, sometimes it's not a good thing. It doesn't mean it's good pain. It could be that you've got to remember my injury was clear up at my femur. And mm -hmm. so nerves have to knit all the way back together to get to that area where they think they had pulled and splintered the nerves that feed the top of the foot. So they were telling me that, you know, it was going to be a very, very long recovery before I would have any use of my leg. Were they giving you hope that you would be able to run again mm -hmm. and ride a bike and do those things that meant so much to you all as a family? They, they in, in rehab, they didn't say anything. They didn't go, and I would ask, believe me, I would ask, and they would just, I had to really just take it one step at a time. And I remember very clearly laying in that room and looking over and I had a wheelchair and a potty chair and a shower chair and two braces and a walker and all these things were my durable medical equipment, we call it in the medical field, that was gonna come home with me. Wow. And I just remember thinking, oh my goodness, I, I just can't believe this has happened. And it was at that very moment that I had to make a decision that I was either going to turn to God and trust that he had me or sit there and panic about what the future was going to hold because I honestly didn't know and nobody really knew at that point. So, Kim, in terms of what we're talking about here, I would suggest that's a merry moment. You're having yeah. a decision that you have to make relative to what you're facing and God's role in that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely it was. And after that, I finally was able to go home. And there were a lot of other moments where um, 
I, I went right after, actually right after this was taken, I went in and had a nerve conduction study done to where they could actually measure the waveforms in the nerves that were innervating the top of my foot. And it was, it, it was really bad. And the doctor came in and it was the first time where anybody had any definitive answers. And he said, you will never regain the use of your leg, mm. never. And I, that was the first time anybody had used the word never. And it just was a very, very low moment for me. And at that time, I had gone home and... Take your time. I was so upset and so down. <laughs> Wouldn't you know? The next thing I knew, Anita Roberts was standing right next to me. And I don't know where she came from. Hmm. And she prayed with me, and she lifted me up. And then later on in that evening, all of my friends from work happened to come by. And my worst day, actually, I was like, okay, God, I think I can keep going. And just, wow. I'm not going to, I may never regain the use of my leg. And that was a, that was another merry moment through that. And... And I just found, like, I prayed to God so much to see me through, and I, I wanted a miracle. I wanted to be healed so badly, and I, what, I haven't been. I still don't have use. I can walk, though, as I could walk up those stairs, but <laughs> I still have foot drop. I still can't um, ride my bike without a, bike, a brace. I wear a very heavy-duty brace to keep my foot upright so that I can ride my bike. And I do mm -hmm. ride my bike again, and I'm able to water ski again and snow ski again and be with my mm -hmm. family. And just being back out there with my family was a miracle as it was. Wow. But I found through this entire journey that even though God didn't heal me, he took away my suffering. And he did that through people. Wow. He sent people time and time again. And that's when I realized that these are people that are willing to listen to the Holy Spirit to just come and visit me mm. out of the blue and what that did for me. And there were many moments that I could, over the last six years, it continues to happen. They continue to find new ways to try and help. I have a lot of nerve injury pain that off and on hits me, but you just, it's still, it reminds me of what I've been through, and, and honestly, all of the good things that have come out of this injury, I can honestly say I would do it all over again. Oh my goodness. Because of that, and because of the peace that it gives me, that knowing that in your darkest moments, God is there. And it may not be in the way that you want it to be, but it's in the way he sends those people to care for you. One of my, my favorite verses that I used to cling to, my mother-in-law sent me and said she thought of me, it was Isaiah 40, 31. Mm, and it says, those who hope in the Lord, some say those the versions will say, trust in the Lord, right. wait for the Lord. But when you place your hope in the Lord, he will give you strength. You will rise up on the wings of eagles, and you will run and not grow weary and walk and not faint. 
And all those people were my eagles. Wow. That's wonderful, Kim. I want to say thank you so much for your willingness to come up and share with us. Uh, it's so easy to look at one another as we come to church and think that all these other people have their lives absolutely together and miss out on the pain and sometimes the merry moments that come out of that kind of pain. Thank you, Kim, very much. So maybe it's that way in your life. Maybe it's that way in your world. You've come to a moment in time when on the one hand, maybe God is tapping you on the shoulder and calling you to something different, something new, something grand that stuns you. Or on the other hand, maybe you've gone through a very painful circumstance such as Kim did or faced profound questions such as Mary did and have a lot of uncertainty. But you may be facing one of those merry moments, and then it's Christmas. And you know what Christmas is about? Christmas is gentle snow falling on the trees, angels serenading the quiet family inside. Everything is idyllic, and everything is ideal, except in the real Christmas. In the real Christmas, such is not the case. We have the real world and the real issues to face, the merry moments that confront us. I want you to notice how that young maiden, overwhelmed with what was facing her, responded. The text says that she simply said, I am the handmaid of the Lord. I am the bondservant of the Lord. May it be to me according to your word. And because of her posture of receptivity before God, God moved in ways that only eternity will truly tell. He moved in ways that 2,000 years later, rather than remembering her for shame, we remember her for honor. That's what can happen when we answer God's unexpected calls. God of grace, we thank you for Mary. Almost literally, we could say, a child shall lead us. We thank you for her humility and her faith. We thank you for the examples of friends around us, like Kim today. We thank you that we can lean on one another as we face those circumstances of life. And finally, we thank you that as we come to Christmas, we come to a child that has been born. We come to a kingdom that has been established. We come to a Lord who has been resurrected. And we come to a Savior that will return. And for all of that, this Christmas season, we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.